All right. So, we're doing a series on doctrine. Say it with me. Doctrine is what the Bible teaches. Were you guys asleep this morning? We need like some espressos over there. I was at Disney and they gave you Turkish coffee. Now, I thought Cuban coffee would kick it. That Turkish coffee, that's like on another level, right? It's gritty, right? So we need a Turkish coffee bar around here somewhere. We don't? No? That is it? I think we need a nitro bar, though. A coffee nitro bar would be good. Um, I vote for that. I'm in on that. <laughs> Say this with me. Doctrine is what the Bible teaches. Dogma is not a hot dog stand on Biscayne Boulevard. Dogma is what man's opinion is about what the Bible teaches. A lot of things that are taught, um, are related, are, are oftentimes dogma. People give opinion um, about the scripture that is not necessarily what the Bible is teaching. Um, so what we're doing here is we're trying to bring, run you through a bunch of topics that relate to what the Bible is actually saying. And what um, and relative topics, things that are necessary, not things that are necessarily convenient for us, but things that are necessary and the perspectives that we have to have as believers as we relate to the kingdom. And what greater topic to have on a Super Bowl Sunday than the doctrine of last things? So we're talking about heaven and hell. What happens to us when we die? You're like, wow, Kevin. Wow. Really? Really? It's, it, this, this doctrine is actually is a very important one in Scripture because if you're a believer, you should have absolute and supreme confidence. And if you don't know Christ, you need to know this as well because it gives you the opportunity to come to Jesus and to be aware. And so there's a doctrine of last things. So I'm going to run you through. This isn't the full counsel of God, but I'm going to run you through just to bring people up to speed. We teach this stuff here consistently, these themes, so you should know it, most of it. Mankind was created to be eternal. I don't know if you know that. The Bible says that God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living being. Man is created to be eternal. There's false beliefs about us. They, people believe, well, when we die, that's it. We go to the dirt. That's it. It's all over. Well, I have a question. Who told you that? You did that research where? What's over? It's over. Or here's the other one. This is another common one. Is we get another shot. We get another opportunity. We get to come back. Hopefully as a cat or maybe a bird or I don't know, we get another chance. And then there's a third one that I didn't list here. And it's pretty much, well, if there is an afterlife, I believe that my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And therefore my good deeds will enable me to go in. Right? Well, how, if you were to measure your good deeds versus your bad deeds today, how would you be doing? Do you have any idea? Are you 60, 40? You know, are you 50, 50? Are you 70, 30? Where are you? We don't know. We have no ability to measure our deeds because it's not about our deeds. We don't come back. We don't reincarnate. There is no, there is no, uh, when we die, it's over. That's not what the Bible says. Man was created to be eternal. And it's kind of like we're like ostriches. Human beings are like ostriches. We stick our head in the sand and pretend like we don't know this stuff, right? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Well, you can know. And if you're a Christian, you should have absolute confidence. There's no fear in death. Jesus destroyed the, Jesus has conquered death. He's overcome the grave. He's come to set us free. One of the things the Bible tells us that he sets us free from is mankind, all of their lives being afraid of dying. All of our lives being, being, being prisoner to this idea that we're going to, you shouldn't want to die. You shouldn't be afraid to die. That's not something that we should, we as believers should fear. No fear in death. No fear at all. I don't know if you've read much about heaven or if you know much about the afterlife, but Jesus' world is a lot better than ours. So true. 
Bible says this in Hebrews, it's appointed for us to to die once, and then after this to be judged. What the scripture is saying here is that we die physically one time. And from that physical state of death, we are judged upon the condition of our death, whether we're saved or whether we're not saved. That's the endowment that we all get, right? When you pass through the veil, if you're born again, you go immediately to be with Jesus. If you're not, if you pass through the veil and you're not a believer, there's a whole other situation that happens with you. And this stuff needs to be known. We should not be ignorant of these things. Jesus spoke more about his world and he spoke more about what, about judgment and things of that nature than anybody else in all of scripture. If you really want to get relevant, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in scripture. And so it's like, well, I don't want to talk about hell. I want to talk about Jesus. Well, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else. And you know what else he talked more about? Money. So two of the main themes that Jesus preached was not just the kingdom, not just salvation, but he preached more of the concepts of money and more of the concepts of the afterlife than anybody else in all of the Bible. So if we're really going to be true to preaching Jesus, these are things that we have to be, be able to understand. Colossians 1 said we were created for Jesus. All things were created by him and all things were created for him. Jesus is the supreme, supreme one over all of creation. All of creation is subject to him, right? So mankind was created by Jesus. He is supreme over all of creation. We're created by him. We're created for him. We're created to be in relationship with him. That was God's original intent. Bible tells us that something entered the world called sin. Romans says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death came to all of us. Why do we die? God never designed men to die. I don't know if you know that. We're never, and in fact, we're, by, by God's design, man lives eternally. We physically die, but our soul lives eternally because we were never created to die. Death is a result of sin. Death came out as a product of sin entering the human existence. God never intended man to die. I don't know, anybody like funerals? Right? In America, we're more into the cremation thing, so Aunt Judy is now a, an urn in a picture, you know? Whereas before, we would lay them out, you know? And, and like, I remember growing up in where I grew up with my grandmother, and she would tell me stories that they didn't have funeral homes when she was younger, that they would, uh, my, my grandfather on my mother's side, he, was, he died, and they, bring you, they would bring him home and lay you right out on the kitchen table. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Some of you like have relationships that, that that's what used to happen is that they would bring them home and there, there would be your, your husband or whoever, if they died in an accident and they'd be laid out on the table, there would be a close proximity with death. Now we have this distance of death. We don't know it. Death is an enigma. It makes us uncomfortable because it's not natural. It's not given to us by God. And so it, it just completely freaks us out. It's very shocking and jolting to us emotionally because it was never intended for us. De- There's nothing good about death physically, right? Except in Christ, we have, that's what's good in death is we get to go and be with him. That, that's, that's the good news. Sin separates mankind. So sin enters the world. And what sin does to us is it separates us from our created design. It creates us. It separates us from our identity. Sin is a divider. Sin is ultimately a destruction. But what sin does is it separates us from the knowledge of God, the knowledge of ourselves, the knowledge of our purpose. The no, it, it separates us from our understanding of relationships in our environment. And when sin, man becomes totally and completely lost. If you don't think sin's in the world, just look around. We're completely and totally lost. We are clueless on every level. We don't know who we are, 
Really? We have no idea. Most people without Jesus, they're making God up if they even believe there is a God. You know, well, I think God's like this, or I think God's like that. I think God is whoever you want him to be. I think God is one universal being encompassing all religions. Really? Well, who told you that? We all worship the same God. Not if your God doesn't look like Jesus. We do not worship the same God. Period. Right? We're lost to relationships. We're completely, totally clueless on how to make relationships work. Can I get a witness? We do not know how. We don't know. We lost. We never feel at home. No matter where we are, we always want to be somewhere else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You never truly ever feel totally settled. You can grow up in a place, be born there, and you're like, I got to get out of here. I just got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And you run over here and you're like, oh, here I am. Okay. You start building a life and you're like, this place is lame. I got to get out of here. And you just keep jumping around like, like we're like salmon, you know, swimming upstream, trying to find some place that we can call home. And the reason for that is not because you're so rustless. The reason for that is because sin has not, sin has made your soul unsettled. You, it, you're lost. You don't know where you truly belong. Where we belong is with the father. Where we belong is in Christ. Our sense of belonging and surety and confidence belongs in him. Sin separates us. What is sin? Willful rebellion against God's intended design. We've all done it. All of us. Selfish intent, desire, and action apart from God's purpose and design. That's what sin is. Sin was not born with man. It was born in an angel called Lucifer. Lucifer, the highest of angels. The Bible says iniquity was found in him. And what Lucifer did is he began to merchandise it. What was Lucifer's issue? Lucifer said, we don't need to follow God. I'm my own God. I can be like God. I will exalt myself above the stars of the north. I will, I will walk among the fiery stones. I will sit upon the throne that is beyond the furthest reaches of the north. The Bible actually tells us where God's throne is, beyond the furthest reaches of the north. In another realm in eternity, but beyond the north star. That's why this north star is the brightest star in the sky, because it points the way. Lucifer said, I will exalt myself above the stars. I will be like the most high. I will exalt be above him. He was cast down. That was not God's intended purpose and design for him. He had everything he could ever ask for. Yet he wanted, he wanted God's position. He falls to the earth. And what does he do? He seduces mankind. You don't need to follow God. You can be your own God. You can make God up and do whatever you want. You, why do you need to follow him? And mankind... Follow down that and follow down that path. Our ancestors were all descendants of Adam and Eve. All of us flow from that bloodline. All of us. One race in the Bible, the human race. We're all different ethnicities, different ethnic backgrounds, but we all are one one race, a common race. Sin entered through Adam, therefore sin came to all of us. And we have what's called a sin nature. Aren't you glad? You know what that means? Selfishness is very natural to you. You don't have to work at being selfish. What do you have to work at? Being selfless. That's right. You don't have to work at giving up that last piece, giving up that, taking that last piece of cake for yourself. You got to pause and think about that. Now, should I actually take that last piece of cake for me or should I maybe leave it for another? But your first impulse is it's mine, right? We do not, so sin is in our nature. What sin really is, is self-adoration and self-worship. We traded the worship of a living God and we worship, now we worship a mirror. We worship our plans, our purposes, our designs. We worship what we want. That's the evidence of sin. Sin is evidenced in man's narcissism. 
That's where sin is evidenced. Sin isn't evidenced in wars and diseases and corruption. All of that is a direct relationship to man's narcissism. Greed exists because of selfishness. Murder exists because of selfishness. Violence exists because of selfishness. All of these things are a product of selfishness. The root of all sin is man's narcissism, man's self-centeredness, right? When we were, that's what happened. We worshiped ourselves. We departed from Jesus. We said, you're not Lord. I am. This is why, this is what it means to be born again, Christian. When you return to Jesus, who do you, what is his name? You call him what? You must confess Jesus as what? Lord. You know what you're saying? You're Lord. I'm not. You're saying before heaven and earth, I witness before the heavens and the earth that I am not God or Lord or master. You are, and you are converted. You are restored. That's what it is. But people have the hardest time doing that. I didn't say your life got perfect, but what happens is you become spiritually aligned. Your position changes in the spirit because that's your condition. Your true condition is what your condition is in the spirit. When you die, the condition of your spirit is revealed. If you die without Christ, trust me, your condition will be revealed. If you die in Christ, trust me, your condition will be revealed. The Lord will claim his own. It's not about the perfection of your surrounding life. It's about the position of your spirit. And once your spirit is positioned correctly before the Lord, then the Holy Spirit begins to enact things in and through your life to bring the rest of your life into alignment. Born again doesn't mean you don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. Born again doesn't mean that you've got everything perfect. Right? It doesn't mean that at all. Born again means Jesus Christ is the Lord. (laughs) I had a woman one time say, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved. I'm like, why? Because her life was so dysfunctional. And crazy. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, why don't you give me the first answer? I said, is Jesus Christ Lord? She said, absolutely. I said, if you confess Jesus, she said, yeah. I said, is Jesus Christ Lord? She said, absolutely. You're born again. I said, that, that just sounds too simplistic to me. Yeah, it's very simple because Jesus wants to make it simple. He died to make it simple. I use the analogy of an elevator. It's easy to go up to the penthouse in an elevator, isn't it? What do you do? You just step in and push the button. You're like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> costs you nothing to go up that elevator, but it costs somebody a lot of money. Elevators are millions of dollars. The higher the building, the more money it takes to put that elevator in. And Jesus ascends you to the highest place. It costs a lot for him to put that and to offer that. Now, we should not treat it as something common. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's common. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it doesn't have value. He made it easy. He made it easy on purpose. Sin is the selfish is, is, is willful separation. Sin is our nature apart from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Do you know what this means? Let me, let me, uh, this is important because I like to set Christians free. Right? For freedom's sake, Christ made you free. You cannot not be selfish unless you're in the Spirit. So, okay, can we all get a witness here? Right? I can be a born-again Christian, but I'm still fighting for that parking spot at Michael's Arts and Crafts. You know what I mean? The lady's 80 years old. She can barely see. And I'm like, I'm in it, grandma. Back of the line. Back of the line. (laughs) But you're a pastor. I know. Pray for me. Why? Because it's my nature. Your nature is selfishness, right? It's your nature. But in Christ, I'm like, I'll just sit here. I'll give up every parking space because I'm in the spirit. Now I get in the spirit and I'm just all about love. You know what I mean? I could give up 10 parking spots and still be cool. 
Because my true nature is only manifested when I'm in the spirit. So you can be born again, saved and going to heaven. And you can still like a, act like a selfish animal. That's why most Christians are selfish animals. They are. Christians do the most obscene things. Most of you have been in business. You've been burned more by Christians than you have or have been in the world. <laughs> I've been in business since I'm 19 years old. And I have had worse treatment as a pastor leading a church by other churches They have treated me worse than unbelievers. I've had rich, Jewish, greedy, consumed woman owns a ton of property. She act like she was a beggar, but she was a multimillionaire. And that woman treated me more fairly than churches we've rented from. Wickedness. Is it because they're not saved? Of course they're saved. But see, most believers don't understand that the power is in the spirit. The power is not in the natural. The power is in the spirit. Your new life does not lie in the, sp- in the natural. It lies in the spirit. You're laboring against something that you can't produce. So we try to, we try to self-manage. You can't self-manage. You can't. So give yourself a break. All you got to do is get into the spirit. Learn to move in his world. Learn to swim in his world. Yield to the Holy Spirit and begin to live from that place. And you'll see an entirely different you. A brand new you. You'll like you. If you don't like you, get in the spirit. You will re- you're like, man, I am super smart. I never knew how smart I am. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, gave, I gave that lady that parking spot. Wow. <laughs> we put these externals on the believer and we want to analyze each other by externals. We look at each other and we examine each other according to the externals and whether we're measuring up. The Bible says regard no one according to the flesh. We're not even to look at each other that way. I don't, I don't have that kind of expectation. I tell my wife, I said, I have no such expectations. I know people are fallen, greedy, and selfish. Why? Because I myself am fallen, greedy, and selfish, but I'm born again. So it tells us in Corinthians, such were some of you, but you've been redeemed. That's who I was. I'm perfectly capable of walking in a fallen nature should I choose, but doesn't mean I'm not saved. Paul's the same thing in Romans. That which I will to do, I do not. That which I want to do, I, I want to do this, but I can't, I don't do it. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing it. Where's my redemption? I thank God through Jesus Christ. His nature was to go against everything God is. But in Christ, he will follow him. You don't want to go to church anymore. I'm going to tell you right now, you just go, Holy Spirit, help me. He, the Holy Spirit always wants to go to church. Holy Spirit always wants to worship. Lord, I don't feel like worshiping. Holy Spirit, help me worship. You've been amazed. Holy Spirit, I got a bad attitude. I just give you my attitude. Lord, give me the right attitude. Holy Spirit, calm, boom. Everything shifts. Everything shifts. It's yours free of charge. It's a neglected power that we've been given. (laughs) The church neglects the Holy Spirit wholesale. We don't even mention his name in church. I mean, you're going to get him at least 10 times a week if you come here. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And have I said the word Jesus yet? It's not God. His name is Jesus. God can be known. He manifested himself to us in the form. And Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is Lord. Holy Spirit is the power given to the believer. We don't worship a universal God. We're different set apart, holy, sanctified, sons and daughters of the highest. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are not common. Do not look at yourself or believe that you're common. You're not. You became uncommon the day you received Jesus. You became uncommon. You say, I don't know. You don't look at my life. It doesn't matter what your life is. Okay, here we go, Elevate. Here we go. Ready? Say this with me. Truth and reality are two separate things. Your reality is not truth. 
You understand? Just because it looks like this does not mean that's what is true. Christians are to pursue truth. We chase truth, pursue truth, align with truth until truth becomes our reality. We're not to base our lives based upon reality or live our lives on reality. We're to live our lives according to truth. I'm a son of the highest. You sure don't look like it. It doesn't matter. That is the truth. Over my life, I will decide and make all decisions and I will accept no identity beneath the one that my father has placed upon me and I will let no one else call me anything less than that. I accept no identity beneath the one that Jesus has established over me. None. He says, I'm a son of the highest, therefore I am. And, I, and what do I do? I pound it in until I begin to believe it. And then when I begin to believe it, my life begins to align with it. I make decisions. I don't make that decision. I'm a son of the highest. I'm not a beggar. That's not what I am. This isn't my inheritance. This isn't who I am. Your life begins to change. And what happens is truth becomes reality. And your reality begins to shift. The devil's trying to get you to make an agreement based upon your reality. Well, it looks bad. It looks bad. What does Jesus say? Jesus says something entirely different. But man, you just don't know how it looks. We walk by what? Faith and not by... Exactly. You get it. Sin produces an unnatural state called death. So here's the question. What happens when we die? <laughs> None of us are getting out of here alive unless Jesus comes. Okay? Just so you know. I don't want to die. I do. Part of me does, but the other part of them, I'm like, I don't know. The religious thinking. So I'm going to just do a little bit off Luke 16 here. The religious thinking of the day. So if you're reading this in the context that Jesus is speaking, he's blasting the religious leaders for all of the stupid stuff that they believed and that they taught. And one of the teachings of the religious leaders, and you see it even with the disciples, is that God loves the rich. If you're rich... You must be highly favored of God because he hates the poor, you know, and you saw Jesus talking about this. It's not a net lesson in socioeconomics. They, Jesus wasn't trying to get them to understand that God, listen, this has nothing to do with socioeconomics. God loves all people, but he, they would look at it and they would go, well, God loves rich people and he hates poor. And so the Pharisees not only believed this, you saw it with the disciples when, they, when Jesus said it's, better, it's easier for a, a rich man to go through the eye of a needle, or a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the heaven. And their response was, well, then who could be saved? That was their response. Because in their mind, the rich are truly saved. Jesus gave them another lesson when they gave the offerings in the money plate, right? They gave them offerings. Boom. The millionaire gave $2,000. Wow. A millionaire gave $2,000. And everybody's cheering. Whoa, look at the millionaire giving $2,000. And the widow gives, gives two pennies. Jesus said she gave more than all. And they're like, what the heck are you talking about, man? That girl, Bailey, she just threw two nickels in the thing, two pennies in the thing. And she, you're telling me, yeah, because she get, it's the heart and the motivation behind the heart. It's not the position of your prosperity. It's the position of your heart. And God has no problem with power. He has no problem with wealth. He wants his people in positions of power. But the problem, and wealth, but the problem is, is most people can't handle it. And so we have to prove through this process that we will be faithful with little. He'll entrust us with much. People, most of the time, we flip, it, we flip the script and we say, well, if God will entrust me with much, he'll be faithful. I'll be faithful. Well, if you're not faithful with the little, you'll never be given much. It's the upside down kingdom. It's completely opposite. He's not against rich. He's not against poor. What he's against is self-justification. This is what Jesus is addressing in Luke 16. He tells them before he goes into the speech about Lazarus and the witch man, he says, you are self-justifiers. You are right in your own eyes. You trust in your status. You trust in your sons of Abraham. 
That's what they trusted in. They didn't trust in faith in the promises. They trusted in the fact that they were, they were lineal, uh, lineage descendants of Abraham. Jesus said, do not say that you are Abraham's children, for I say to you, I can pull them up from these stones. Their faith was not in the promise that God had promised them that the Messiah was coming. Their faith was in the fact, we're Abraham's children. That's who we are. All sons and daughters of Abraham are saved. No. All sons and daughters of Jesus Christ are saved, of the Messiah are saved, not Abraham. And so one of the confrontations he tells them is that you are self-justifying. And because they loved money and they hated the poor, Jesus gives them this story. (laughs) I'm going to tell you guys a story. There's a rich man. He had everything. He had flowing robes and purple. And man, he was blazing. He looked good, right? Disco music played when he walked. Oons. This is the rich man. And all the Pharisees are like, yeah. You know? And he said, then there was a poor man who sat at the rich man's gate. And he was so poor and he was so destitute, but the dogs came and licked his sores. It's not a lesson in socioeconomics. It's a lesson in faith. Right? The rich man's trusting in his riches. He's self-justifying. The poor man has nothing to trust in, so he trusts in what? The promises of God. And the Lord says, because the poor man trusted in the promises of God, he received, the, he received righteousness. But the rich man was a self-justifier. It could have been the other way around. The rich man could have trusted in the promises of God, and the poor man could have, could have uh, trusted in himself. Right? He could have trusted in his misery. It doesn't matter. But Jesus is doing it on purpose. He smacks the hornet's nest because he tries. Think Jesus tries to avoid confrontation? He's dealing with a bunch of arrogant rich people and he talks to them right at them. Doesn't he, he, he intentionally offends them. Intentionally. He didn't dance around it. He went right at them. Their, their core problem was they were self-justified from their power. They were self-justified from their position and their prosperity. That's where they drew their power from. And so Jesus went right at their God. Their God was their power. Their God was their wealth. And their God was their position. And Jesus goes right at it. He's not going to compete for gods in your life, nor would he compete with gods in anybody's life. What is a god? It's a master passion that drives you. What is your master passion? That's your god. You can be saved. Christians have idols all day long. We have to bow our idols. We have to confront the idols in our life and begin to bring them all under Jesus' lordship. Born again, true, but beginning to bow down the idols that, are, that, are, that, that rule our lives. One goes to a place called Sheol. The other goes to a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Greek word is paradisios. Like Tom Paradisos? Yes. Yes, like Tom Paradisos. Exactly. Did they serve Filipino food? I don't know. <laughs> but the name is the same. <laughs> one is happy, one is not. Both are still alive and both are very much aware. So here Jesus is giving us the story and he's showing us that there is an afterlife. They didn't die. He didn't say, well, both of them died, and that was the end of the story. He said, no, both of them died. They went to two different places, and both of them were very much aware of where they were. Very much aware. The rich man trusted in himself. The poor man trusted in the promises. The rich man, what does he do? While he's in, while he's in, the, while he's in this place called Sheol, everybody say it with me, Sheol. One translation is Hades. In the Greek, it's the same word. It's Sheol. While he's in Sheol, he cries out to Abraham. Why? Because Jesus is showing his faith was in Abraham. He said, Abraham, send Lazarus to go and warm my brother. So you can already see his faith. Jesus is pointing out his faith was in, La- it was in Abraham. And Jesus is pointing out how he viewed the poor man. Send Lazarus, the knave, 
to go and witness. You know, he viewed, he viewed Lazarus as a lower subject than himself. And so God is pointing out the arrogance. What he's trying to get these guys to understand is the arrogance of their heart. You trusted in Abraham. There's a guy in hell right now who trusts in Abraham, right? You think you're exalted and you're untouchable. Well, there's a guy in hell right now who thinks he's exalted and untouchable. But power, position, wealth, none of that, none of that means anything. It means nothing. It doesn't justify you. Only the blood of Jesus justifies us. The eternalness of mankind is what's evidenced here, that man lives beyond, man lives on. There was a gulf between the believer and the unbeliever. That's what the rich man said. There is a gulf between us, and I cannot cross over. And the other thing that was interesting, not interesting, but the other thing that's evident was it was a place of torment. He was saying, hey, can somebody come over here and just drop some water in my mouth? Right? So Jesus is showing us it's a place of separation. It's a place that that, that, the things that they were trusting in could not save them. Could not save them. No matter how rich you are, your money can't save you. No matter how poor you are, your poverty can't save you. Pity cannot save you. Right? So it's both ends of the spectrum. You know, God will save me because I'm poor. God will save me because I'm in pity. That doesn't save you either. He just happens to be confronting rich people. Sin is judged and condemned. So this is what happens when man sins because sin in the garden, God did not judge man. The curse was not placed upon man. In the end, he will judge man. Those who die in sin will be judged. But God's curse and the judgment was never upon mankind. The judgment was first upon the devil and the sin. And then secondly, it was not ju- the judgment was not passed upon him. The judge was passed upon to Adam. It was passed on the environment. He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. So any of you out there that are environmentalists and you really want to do something about the environment, bring people to Jesus. Because the Bible says the earth is cursed because of sin. <laughs> you want to know why the rage and all this crazy stuff goes on? Because cursed is the ground for Adam's sake. The ground is cursed. He never cursed men. Man never bore the curse. Sin was cursed. Jesus bore this curse of sin, not the curse of Adam, the curse of sin. So because man was born in sin, we are under the curse of sin and condemnation. So sin is judged and sin is condemned. So as we're born under the curse of Adam or under the curse that came upon through Adam, we're born in sin because of Adam. Uh, Under that sin is judgment. That's why we're born in judgment because we're born of Adam who Adam sinned, and we have sin in our life. When we come to Christ, we move from death to life. We move from judgment to righteousness. We're no longer under sin. We're under Christ. This is what happens spiritually. It's all spiritual. Christianity is spiritual. It's nothing at all. We don't see these things manifested in the natural because those things come forth into this world. They come from that world into ours. That's why when you become born again, something happens and you're like, whoa, like the light went on. The power just entered your life. Where did it come from? It came from the supernatural into the natural. How did that happen? Because a transaction took place in the spirit. So because this transaction took place in the spirit, it's now manifested in the natural. And we experience it through one of the ways we experience that is through being born again. And like, whoa, you know, something just happened and I don't know what happened. Judgment was upon sin. Condemnation was upon sin. Mankind who dies without Christ and dies in sin, they die under judgment and condemnation. Jesus told the Pharisees, again, talking to religious leaders who would know exactly the language that he was using. We don't understand why Jesus used certain words, but if you understand who he's talking to, you'll understand exactly why he used certain words. He looked right at the Pharisees. He says, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sin. 
they would have known exactly what that meant. It meant that if they died in their sin, they died under judgment and condemnation because sin was judged and condemned. And Jesus tells them, if you don't believe that I'm the sent one and I'm the Messiah, the promised one, you will die in sin. And therefore, dying in sin, you will come under judgment and condemnation because the sin is what was judged and condemned. Does this make sense to you guys? When you look, because somebody's recently saying, I can't believe God will judge his creation. Well, first of all, he's judged sin. And in the end, those who reject Christ and embrace sin, have to, God will destroy sin. Sin right now is tolerated. It's tolerated. Well, if God's in heaven, why doesn't he do something about it? Don't worry, he will. He will. It's going to happen. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but wills that none perish but all come. The reason he doesn't deal with sin now is because if he does, when God unleashes, it goes forth like a fury. That's what happens. Well, how he created the earth. It was Genesis power. He just released and... Pfft, we have Genesis. The universe is expanding because God said, let there be light, 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 light. That's why the universe is expanding because God's voice doesn't end. So when God releases something, it goes to its fullest extent. It's just the way it is. And so therefore, if God judged sin on the cross, therefore man can be born again. But the time will come. He tolerates the wheat with the chaff. That's what the Bible says. The weeds grow up with the wheat. Jesus said, permit it to be so until the time of the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, they will separate the wheat from the chaff. The chaff will come into my barns and the, and the, wheat, or the, uh, the wheat or the weeds will be burned and the, and the wheat will come into my barns. So he's tolerating it, tolerating it. But there will come a time when sin will be no more. We completely gone. Pale and Genesia, the Bible uses this beautiful words called the renewal of all things. It's not always going to be like this, man. He's going to change everything. Jesus has already paid for it. He makes all things new. He's already paid for it. But it's going to come in fullness. What you've experienced spiritually in being born again is going to come universally. He's going to regenerate the whole world. And in doing so, he's going to take out the trash. Ah, so true. For him who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus became sin. He bore the judgment and the condemnation of sin upon himself. In the garden, at the whipping post, and on the cross. All of those were judgments and paying with blood for different areas of our life. Emotional pain, he shed blood. He blood in the garden is for your emotional pain, Christian. You can be healed emotionally. You can. 100%. The physical pain was doubled at the cross. By his stripes were healed. Not of sin. That post had nothing to do with sin. Yet blood was shed. Where blood was shed, there is redemption. So Jesus shed blood in the garden. His soul was poured out. His soul, his emotions. So he shed blood through the travail of emotion to deal with and pay the price with redemptive blood for man's emotional pain. You can be healed emotionally. He was whipped on a post so that manifested healing covenant can come to you. I was praying for a guy. My landlord showed up at the house. It's always a nice day when your landlord shows up, right? You're looking out the window, and you're like, what's he doing here? <laughs> I get, he was cool. He's all right. And so I was out there talking to him, and one of the guys that works with him comes up, and he's in a back brace, and you know, he's kind of limping like this. And I didn't notice anything. I'm talking. We're just standing out there talking, and I feel like the Holy Spirit goes, ding. And I notice like, the Spirit of God getting my attention. I'm like, okay, what? And then he's like showing me the guy in the back brace, and I'm looking at him I'm like, okay. And then I feel like the Lord's like, pray for him. I'm like, pray for him. I don't even know him. He's like, pray for him. 
back brace and say, hey, what's your problem? He's like, oh, man, I got a really bad injury. I mean, he's got like a, like a girdle, man, like, like on like this, and he can't even move. He's like walking like Frankenstein. I start praying for him. I said, look, I'm going to pray for you. I said, do you believe her? He said, yes. I said, he, I'm going to tell you. I said, if, I just, you don't have to understand it, but I go, I just want to make a statement, and I want you to agree with it. So I said, whether you don't agree with it, I want you to choose to agree with what I'm about to tell you. He goes, okay. And so I go, healing in Christ is your birthright. Do you believe that? He said, yes. And I said, okay. And so we began to pray for him in a, you know, different ways that I, you know, whatever. It's not, but what's relevant is that's a change that happened. The guy went from a 10 to like a 3. He's moving his back. He's touching his toes and everything. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And when I was praying for him, I laid hands on him. And I was releasing power to him. And I, was make, I make the declarations over him, and then I get him to declare over his body that healing is my birthright. And right now, I command healing into my body. I command the pain to believe. I command what is wrong to be right, because it's your birthright in Christ Jesus. Healing is not earned. It's given. You don't, we're not beggars. I teach you guys this thing. When you come to Christ, there's a benefit package that comes simply by coming to Jesus. You get a benefit package. You get a folder. Have you ever opened the folder? No, you haven't even opened the folder. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> When you sign up for a bank account, they give you a folder. You're like, oh, that's great, you know. Just file this up there, you know. <laughs> we get these benefit plans. We don't even know. Jesus gives you a folder, man. There's all kinds of bennies in there that are yours just simply by virtue of being in Christ. Destiny is different than inheritance. Inheritance is yours. Healing is yours. Prophetic is yours. Life is yours. Wisdom is yours. All of those things are part of the benefit plan. You don't need to ask for it. You need to activate it. It's already yours. And when I was talking to the guy, his, his, I, I mean, I didn't know what was going on. I'm just praying for him. And his, his, his legs are tremoring. And then he, and, and I said, and he's like, man, I just felt like electricity shooting down my legs. Because I was telling him, I go, look, I'm going to release heat. I said, I want you to feel heat. So I'm releasing power right now. So I want you to feel power in your back. I said, you feel power? He said, yeah. And then as I'm praying and I'm leading him in a prayer and he's commanding his body to be whole, his, his legs start shaking. And then I go, okay, try it out. And he's really timid to try it out. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, look at that. Injuries are 100%. Jesus is going to move on an injury. Sometimes there's other issues that you have that are related to internal and emotional pain. You have to heal the emotional pain and then that will lift because the enemy holds a right over you because of things that are you're harboring with subconsciously. And so sometimes there has to be an inner healing process and then the pain will release and the disease will go. But injuries are direct right there off the rip. Something's happening. We're going from a 10 to an eight minimum, minimum, minimum. I mean, we're not going from a 10 to a 9.5. We're going from a 10 probably to a six or we're going from a 10 probably to a four. And this guy was like a nine plus. And he's about ready to just do calisthenics in the yard. I saw him later. He's hunched over the desk typing. I said, how you doing? He's like, ah, it's yours because it belongs to you. It belongs to you. It's yours. Jesus doesn't, he has no sorrow in it. You don't have to ask for it. It's yours. You know what he glories in when you know what's yours? He's like, that's right. That's right. Healing's my birthright. And the Lord goes, well, I don't know. Not too sure about that. No, he died to give it to you. And his glory is in you knowing who you are. His glory is in you cashing the checks in your bank account that relate to your inheritance. Most Christians die with a bank account full of inheritance. You say, well, I don't want to spend it all. You know what the kingdom? You can't spend it all because it replicates itself. What you do with your inheritance is the more you press into your inheritance and release it, your bank account doesn't deplete. It increases. 
the capacity of your bank account increases. The more you use wisdom, the more the capacity for wisdom increases. Wisdom in spirit does not diminish. It increases. Some of you that activate and press into anointing with healing, you notice that healing doesn't diminish. Your ability to manifest the healing anointing increases. Why? Because we're releasing your inheritance. Your inheritance in Christ does not diminish. It expands. It's all of these things. It's yours. When the unbeliever dies, he goes to a place called Sheol. Okay, this is what the Bible says, right? So it's going to get... It's going to get bad and ugly, but then we're going to end it with really good, right? But it's necessary for us to understand this. When, the, when an unbeliever dies, he goes to a place of holding called Sheol. So that what happened was the rich man died. He goes to a place of holding. That is not the final judgment. That is merely a place of holding. There's three words in the Bible for hell, all of them in the New Testament. Interestingly enough. The unbeliever goes to a place of holding. It's called Sheol. It's a place of confinement. They're held until the day of consummation. There's going to come a final day where Jesus will consummate everything. He will bring all things together, reconcile all things, and then make all things new. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, and he's going to bring about his kingdom in fullness. Revelation chapter 20, I saw a great white throne. Two thrones in the Bible. Ever say it with me. Two thrones. Right? I have the word for the white throne. I know the, I know the rainbow throne is the, is the bema seat. <laughs> the megalucon. You do not want to go to the megalucon. That's not where you want to go. Right? That's not, that's not the throne you want to go to. You want to go... You, <laughs> You want to go, you want to, go to the, to the, to the, the, the Bema seat. So this is the megalucon judgment of all those who have rejected Christ. It says, I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it and, the, and from whom the face of the earth fled. Okay. So Jesus is now revealing himself for the first time in history, in eternity. He's revealing himself in a position as a judge. So the lion is now being revealed and the earth and the moon and the stars and everything flees from him. He shows his face as judge of the earth, right? And, every, and all of creation freaks out. I don't like that, Kevin. I like fairy Jesus. I like the Jesus that's about love and puppies, rainbows and my little pony. Well, Jesus is a king who wears a robe dipped in blood. He rides upon a white horse, and he's flexing a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords, Okay. So this is the Jesus of the Gospels. This is the Jesus of the kingdom. This is a Jesus who loves you so ferociously that he gave everything for you. Exodus 17, the Lord is a warrior and has been so from the beginning. Ah, he rejoices over you with songs of victory. He sings over his people songs of victory. He dances, the Bible says, dances over his people. So God is dancing. It says he leaps from his throne, he twirls, he dances over you. Did you know that? We, we can't even lift our hands in church. It's not holy, not holy. Our reverence is to take our hat off and hold it before. Jesus is doing a war dance over you. He's doing a war dance. That's, that's my daughter. Lord, I need your help. I pray right now. This isn't my inheritance. I release the angels and the Lord's up there doing a war dance. In front of all of heaven, the dignified, holy, most noble Jesus is doing a war dance for you. And he's leading a song in victory. And the angels are like, wow, never seen this side of him, but this is kind of cool. <laughs> he sings over you. He sings over you. He's so hilariously joyful about his sons and daughters. He's not against you. He's for you in every sense of the word. The devil's a liar. Who told you that? Who told you God's against you? Jesus didn't tell you he's against you. Jesus doesn't tell you he didn't love you. 
You believe in somebody who's telling you something that he never said. Therefore, you're embedded in a lie. And you're manifesting according to a lie that you believe and not a truth that he has declared. So you need to renounce, repent, and break the covenants with the lie and release the truth into your life. That's what needs to happen. Again, spiritual transactions that manifest in the natural. It says the books were open. It says, and there was no place found for them. The dead, small and great, rich and poor, right? CrossFit guys and guys that can, and couch potatoes, right? All of them standing before the Lord. This is the unbeliever. This, this is not the Christian. This is not the judgment of the believer. This is the Christian. This is the non-believing judgment. And it says, and who's in the dead gave up their book, gave up their dead. And so did Hades or Sheol, the place of holding released the dead. So the, the mankind is in a place of holding without Christ. They died. They're held in this place of holding at the end of the day. At the end of the age, Jesus is going to summon and Sheol will release all of the dead being held. And they're going to come before him and he's going to judge them. He will do the exercise. He will look for their name in the book of life. Their name's not in the book of life. And therefore, there's another book called the book of deeds because they're going to be judged according to their deeds. And it says, in whosoever's name, they judged each one according to their works. Why were their works judged? Because they renounced Christ. They broke covenant with Jesus. They never accepted Jesus. Therefore, the full penalty of all of their sin now weighs upon them. Not a place you want to be. All of your sin now must be accounted for because you rejected the only one that could pay the price for it. So because he, 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 you didn't want him, now therefore by God's word and God, the structure of how he's created it, you must bear the weight of all of the sin. Again, not a happy place. They will account for the degree of their rejection and for the degree of their, of their deeds. It's the word Gehenna. They are thrown into the lake of fire and it means the place of rejection. Gehenna is the word Gehenon. In the Hebrew, and it means to be rejected. And you go, God is rejecting man? That's not what's happening here. Bad theology. Mankind has chosen to reject the Lord, therefore, rejection is their inheritance. Do you understand that? That's what's going on here. The man has rege- this, this group of people, for whatever reason, in whatever time, in whatever space, and who knows what, they've chosen to not receive Christ or give their life to Christ. They've openly rejected him. Therefore, at the end of the age, they will get what they've wanted. We, our inheritance is Jesus. You know why? We've chosen Jesus. So what do we get? Joy of the Lord evermore. Christ is our inheritance. The fullness of all he is. And tell me, let me tell you something. He's better than you think. There's a party wherever Jesus is at. There's no want wherever Jesus is at. It's a garden wherever Jesus is at. There's waterfalls wherever Jesus is at. The disciples weren't going, man, I wish we had some food. Jesus goes, you need food? We got you. Need money? Peter, you're going to walk down to the riverside. This fish is going to jump up and spit a nickel in your mouth. You got plenty of money. Wherever Jesus is, there's a party. There's no want with him. He's the fullness of your inheritance. And so at the end of the age, we receive Christ. He becomes our fullness. But those who've rejected him, what do they get? They get Gahenon. They get the rejection that they have asked for. God is not rejecting anybody. Well, God is rejecting people. He's rejected. They they have chosen rejection. The third third word for hell. So we have Sheol. We have Gahenon, which is the, the lake of fire, the place of rejection. Where the garbage is burned, that's essentially what's going on. That's the mirror that Jesus is showing. Wasteful, unwanted. You didn't want me. You're set out. You're not wanted. Because you've rejected me. Then you're rejected by my house. You can't come in. Jesus isn't letting people come into his house. He just isn't like, it's not an open door policy in that regard. You have to confess Christ. 
in Asia, that when you had the shoguns, the ancient shoguns, when you came into the house of the shogun, the warlord, the door was low. So which means you had to come through the door with your head like that. You had to offer the shogun your head. When we come to Christ, we come with our head low. We offer the one shogun our, our head. You understand that? And he extends to us a scepter of mercy. All who come to me, I will in no way reject. But you're not just going to come parading in the door of your own free will. You're going to bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. This isn't the sexy American gospel I'm preaching you. I'm telling you the gospel of the kingdom. We preach a fairy Jesus in America now. And it's all about tingling and this and ooh and ooh and ooh and ooh and ooh. It's not reality. It's not the kingdom. It's not what is. If you're a believer, you should feel fired up. You're going to live forever. So I tell Christians, you are immortal. You are literally immortal. I always use the, the, the picture of uh, Walt Disney. I don't know if you know this. Walt Disney's frozen in cryogenics. So Disney's spending money every year to try to keep him alive so that he can get immortality. Jesus is given away for free. Free. You want immortality? Granted. You want eternal life? Come to me. Granted. Wish granted. The third one is the word Tartarus or Tartarus. And it means depth of the abyss. There's another level. It's called Tartarus, which means depths of the abyss. That's reserved. The Bible is very clear. It tells us that there's a certain class of angels that will be thrown to the abyss. The Bible also tells us that there are false teachers who will be thrown to the abyss. Now, let me give you a little caveat. This is, this is the Western Christian version of false teachers. Anybody I don't like or anybody I don't agree with, those are false teachers. They're not false teachers. The Bible's very clear on what a false teacher is. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the redemptive power of Christ. Just because they teach a doctrine that you don't agree with doesn't mean that they're false teachers. If they preach, if they preach, I or an angel of light preach to you any other gospel other than Christ, let them be accursed. It's salvation through Christ alone. So just because the guy's preaching salvation through Christ alone, but he's telling you something you don't want to hear, doesn't mean the guy's a false teacher. He may be misaligned. He may be misguided. You know, he may not, he may not be the one to bear the most fruit through your life or help you get to that point. But nonetheless, he's not a false teacher. The church uses this like loose cannons. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, we're running around calling everybody false teachers. Do we actually know what it means to be a false teacher? The Bible defines it. It means not only are they false teachers that reject them the deity and the, and the blood of Jesus, they reject that, but they're teachers who lead Christians into indulgences. That's what Peter's talking about. The Bible tells us over and over again what false teachers are, but Peter's saying these, these guys who deny the faith that they are clearly exposed to, they deny the deity of Christ, and they lead, they believe naive or unknowing, set over the people, setting themselves over the people, clouds without water, setting themselves over the people to lead the people, leading them away from Jesus, not unto Jesus. Real simple answer. <laughs> Jesus is everything, man. And they're preaching something different. What's God as you understand him to be? You know, here's my favorite. It's a conversation. We don't tell people about Jesus. We just, we just, we have a, no, let me tell you something. It's Jesus. There is salvation in no other. But the name of Jesus, it's him. But just because you don't agree doesn't mean they're a false teacher. It doesn't mean that way. If they're preaching Christ, there's no other way to salvation except through Jesus. And they preach that they're not considered a false teacher. They say with me, they may have false doctrine, but they're not false teachers. 
Paul said they're preaching. They came to Jesus and they said they're, or, uh, they came to, uh, and he said, if I, they're preaching, they're preaching Jesus. You know, they're preaching him out of pretense. Paul says, I rejoice whether Christ is being preached out of selfishness or out of truth. Only my rejoicing is in that the gospel is being preached. In other words, what he's saying is there's guys that are preaching Jesus Christ as Lord and they're doing it only for selfish purposes. Paul didn't say that false teacher who's preaching Jesus only for selfish purchases purposes. He said it doesn't matter. Whether pretense or in truth, the gospel is preached because God can use an alcoholic to preach the gospel. And if you're aware of that, the character of the man does not testify of the truth of the gospel. The character of the man does not testify of the, of the evidence of the power of the spirit. Charismatic leaders fall and we think he must be a false teacher. Who told you that? Anointing has nothing to do with you. Nothing. We think because a guy can manifest healing, he must be holy. No, he knows who he is or she knows who she is. Has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Salvation has nothing to do with you. I know this is crazy, but I was like, what? What do you mean it has nothing to do with me? It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Did you, did you, did you earn it? Was there something amazing and dazzling? Was your hair perfect that day? And Jesus goes, there it is. I was waiting for it. The perfect hair day has arrived. It's given. It's given. Things contrary to their destiny. The believer, what happens to the believer when they die? They go to paradise. They used to go to paradise. They no longer go to paradise. So what happens? The believer would die. They would go to a place that they called Abraham's bosom. In the Greek, it's called paradise. Paradisos. He says, therefore, when he ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What does this mean? This is Ephesians. That he who ascended, but first descended to the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who has ascended above the heavens. So what happens here? The Bible's going to tell us what happened. Jesus Christ on the cross, when he died, what was he doing for three days? Was he napping? No, he went into the lower parts of the earth. He was released. He wasn't beaten. He wasn't judged. He was showing. He come back. And the Bible says he took back the keys of hell and the grave from the devil. He said, hey, I think that belongs to me. Right? He does two things. The Bible clearly tells us. It tells us in 1 Peter, he goes to the spirits that are in Sheol. 1 Peter 3, 8, 19. Jesus goes to the spirits that are in Sheol. Those who rejected God or openly didn't deny them. He goes to them and he bears witness to them that I'm the one you rejected. So what he tells them. I'm bearing witness and I'm testifying to you that I'm actually real. And you rejected me openly and your condemnation is just. Then he goes to the other place, which is what Ephesians says. He goes to Abraham's bosom, right? He goes into this place and the Bible says he leads captivity captive. The Bible calls it a triumphal procession. I like to put it like this. So he goes and tells them all y'all rejected me. So I just wanted to tell you what time it is. This is it. It's over. Game over. Sorry. And then he goes to the next group and go, and they're like, it's you. It's truly you. And I like to think of the thief on the cross. They're kind of like, you know, he walks in there and Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. So Jesus goes into paradise with the thief on the cross and Jesus is preaching. And all the people are like, wow, yeah, this is crazy. This is cool. And I can just see some person raising their hand going, yeah, I just have one question who's that guy with you? <laughs> oh, this guy, this guy's Larry. Uh, Larry. Hey, Larry. You know, so Jesus goes into paradise and he's got some dude that knows like, well, who, okay, this is, this is the Messiah, but who's that guy? Oh, this is just some dude I picked up along the way. His name's Larry. <laughs> hey, Larry. <laughs> he brings the captives with him. He goes before Satan. He says, the keys of hell and the grave are mine. He makes him bow. He strips the devil of all of his armor. He puts his foot on the devil's head and he crushes the devil's head. He kicks off. And he ascends. 
How did he send? It was the kickoff. We're waiting for a kickoff at six o'clock this afternoon. Greatest, the greatest kickoff history has ever known is Jesus on the devil's head. That's right. They would put their foot on the head of their enemies. You think Jesus didn't have any problem putting his foot on the devil's head? For this reason, the son of God was manifest to openly destroy the works of the devil. He looked forward to this day like no other. It wasn't, it wasn't a match. It wasn't this grudge match. It was total and complete victory. Jesus beat him with both hands tied behind his back with a blindfold on. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. The devil tapped out as soon as Jesus walked in the ring. Oh. <laughs> he folds up paradise. The Bible says he folds up paradise. He'll fold up this world again as a garment. But he folds up Paradise. And now we go to a place called Oranos. Everybody say Oranos. What a beautiful word, right? It's where we get the word heaven from. Okay, so let's just get our, let's just get, let's get our mind around this. There's a place beyond paradise. I mean, we think paradise. Yeah, man, paradise. Jesus had two tickets to paradise, right? Him and the thief went down there. Boom, this would be said. But listen, this is nothing. This is nothing. There's a place beyond this place. The word paradise meant garden, plenty, rest, health, happiness. It was just this beautiful, everything that you wanted. But Jesus takes us now to a place called Oranos. Why? Because the veil has been torn, the blood has been shed, and the way has been made. So in Christ, we don't go to paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We ascend immediately into Oranos. <laughs> Come on. Oranos. What's Oranos like? You ever feel the atmosphere of heaven? You ever feel this just complete moving power of the spirit? You ever feel the power of the spirit moving inside of you? That is Oranos. That's the foretaste, the Bible says. It's just the tip of the tongue, just a taste. My wife likes to make soup. She's like, taste it, just taste it, just taste it. And I'm always like, because I don't know what I'm eating, you know? She, she sneaks kale in on me all the time, you know? She's like, you like it? I put kale in it. Oh, great. <laughs> Can I have more? <laughs> we go to Oranos. Oranos means realm, habitation, or atmosphere. The believer enters the fullness of the kingdom to await the reward. So when we die, we go into the kingdom, and we just hang out, celebrate, whatever. It's a, it's a whole world. It's a realm. It's not we're on a harp floating on, we're floating on a cloud with a harp. We're in a realm. We're in another world. We're in his world. And what we await is the consummation. And at the consummation, the believer is rewarded. There will be a consummation. There will be a reward for the believer first, and then there will be the judgment. And the believer will witness the judgment more than likely, or the Joes being judged will witness the reward. They say there'll be no tears in heaven. The only tears that'll be shed is that you could have done more, or you could have given more. All of us are given the inheritance. You all get a crown of life. But what you do in this life echoes for eternity. It's not about you or your shell collection or your stock portfolio. That's not how God's going to view you. What did you do to advance my kingdom? You say, I had a great business. That's great. I bless your business. But did you use that business to further my kingdom? You say, I had a wife and kids. That's wonderful. I bless your wife and kids. Did you use your wife and kids to further my kingdom? That's how God is going to see us. And we'll watch. What's done in secret will be shouted from the housetop. What a scene. Imagine the party. Like we see these kingly parties. This is going to be a party, right? Confetti, horns blowing, right? And you're going to be leading down the street. And the Bible says, what was done in secret will be proclaimed openly. It's true. It's true. Here comes Sam, the angels will say. Man of faith and power gave his heart, and they will just begin to proclaim the deeds of Sam as he walks down the thing. 
No one saw the humility of his heart, you know, and they'll just they'll proclaim the works. Some people will be like, here comes Jim. All right, here comes Sarah. There'll be no herald over your life other than the announcement of your name. I will not stand before the king empty-handed. I refuse. You guys can come with crickets, but I'm not coming with crickets, man. I will not come before this king empty-handed. I will not stand in the halls and the annals of faith before men of such of men who have gone before me, and I will not be coming to such a time as this, having lived where the gospel is wide open and we have more technological advantages than any time before, and we come empty-handed. Seriously? Abraham didn't have the internet. The disciples didn't have the internet. Do you know how powerful the internet is? Do you have any idea the technological power that we have to propagate this kingdom and this gospel? Unsurpassed in all of time. But I'm over time. (laughs) If you're a believer, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Get excited. Get happy. 2020, recalibrate the vision of your life and go, I'm going all in, man. I'm going all in. New decade. Epic time. I'm going all in. I'm rising to the level of my birth. Things are changing this year. No excuses. No compromises. I don't care how I feel. I'm doing it anyway. I don't care what I want. I'm doing it anyway. If you're not a believer, this is your opportunity. You can confess Jesus. We do it together as a family. We do it together together. We do it together. We want you to be a part of something. We want to call you into something. Every single person has to confess Christ. None is exempt. So every person that comes to Jesus comes the same way. We come through confession, through the releasing of our heart and the confession of our mouths, the bowing unto Jesus. And so let's pray together. We're going to pray together as a group. And if it's you and you've never done it before, you're going, I don't know if I did it. I can't remember if I did it. Maybe I did it when I was a kid. I don't really know. Well, today's a day you can know. And so let's pray together. Let's just say this all together. If it's you, just open your heart, take the red pill, and go down the rabbit hole, Alice. (laughs) Come down the rabbit hole. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Say, that's it. That's the start of it. Yeah, come on, we can clap it up. Yes. All right, we're going to close the service. We'll have a prayer team available. So if you need prayer for anything, there'll be some people standing over here. They're not just strangers. Just go over there and and they will pray for you for anything. But let me bless you one benediction. Say this. I'm not going to be too holy for a blessing. That's right. Blessing you're coming in. Blessing you're going out. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. If you need prayer, it's available.